0: Good morning, welcome to Bridgewater Vestal, my name is Brett, some of you don't know me, some of you do, some of you wish you didn't, um, I am uh, I'm really glad to be here filling in for Aaron today, it's an honor and a joy, um, but I am one of the pastors at Bridgewater, been around 14 years here at Bridgewater and was here for a year and left about a year ago Uh, to do my other job at Bridgewater. Um, But I'm really glad to be here. Welcome. We are in a series, uh, as you saw, called Mirror Images, Broken Reflections of a Perfect God. And if this is your first week here, uh, I would urge you to go back and listen to the other three weeks in this series, the first three weeks. Um, This series... Probably more than other series really builds on itself and it's kind of intermingled, and so you can go to our Bridgewater app or you can go to bridgewater.church backslash sermons and listen to <clears throat> any of the sermons from the past. Um, I would I would urge you to do that also because Aaron is a better speaker than I am, and, <laughs> and you will thoroughly enjoy how God used him to present uh, the truths we've been looking at. Um, it's a It's a a delicate series, I guess, Um, and so I may be looking at my notes a little more than normal just because I sometimes feel like I I just want to get it right, Um, but these are conversations we're starting about cultural issues that are pressing down on us, on our society, whether we like it or not, and so we want to have a little window into what does God say? Because there are opinions and voices that are loud out there, and so through this series we're looking at what does God say in His word, about these specific issues. Um, I guess we've built this series on on three foundational truths, and so I want to look at those quick before we dive into God's word. and so it would be our worldview. A worldview would be how you answer questions like... What is my origin? Where did I come from? Where am I headed? What is the purpose of life? Things like that. And so as a follower of Jesus, as Bridgewater Church, we would say that these underpinnings are very important, these three truths, and and here here they are. Uh, First of all, God is the source of life. Everything we know that lives and breathes, and even the entire universe, found its source in God. Because God is the sole creator, he alone gets to determine how his creation works. He alone gets to determine the boundaries that are good and right for human life. This is a truth that is foundational to our worldview, and it's, it's grounded in Scripture, and that's the second one, that, uh, that the Bible is the authority for life. Uh, when I come up against things that I want to do, but the Bible says I shouldn't, the Bible wins, whether I like that or not. And we are... <clears throat> In a day and age where, where people's experiences now sometimes win when it comes to truth. And do I take God's word or do I take my experience? Do I interpret God's word based on my personal experience or do I take my experience based on God's word? And, and what we would say is not only is God the author and creator of all things, but he also gave us his word, the Bible, and this is the authority for life, And then, thirdly, grace and truth is our approach to life. While we believe that God's word is the authority for life, we must have the approach that our Savior Jesus had. And he demonstrated grace in his dealings with difficult conversations. Paul writes this in Colossians 4, 6, where he says, uh, Let your conversations be always filled with grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Um, we, We are not doing this series to pick fights or to poke people in the eyes. We really just want to see what does God say in his word about issues in our culture today and how can we with grace and truth seasoned with salt know how to talk about these things with others. And so let's jump in. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 1 today and we are going to look specifically at two truths from Genesis chapter 1 and then we're going to expound on those and we're going to look at five specific implications that these truths have on our lives today. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, here's what it says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God's speaking his creation into existence. And while he does that, there is something specific about his created order. What he, what he says here is that man is going to be in charge of the fish of the seas and the birds of the air and the animals that crawl around the ground over that other creation. I think this is an important distinction because when we listen to the narrative of culture, sometimes we hear that we are just advanced animals, advanced apes. And that's very different than what God says here. This this does not talk about a biological evolution that happened over millions of years. It, it's quite the opposite. We are distinct, and we are above animals. Let's read verse 27 then. It says, So God created mankind in, in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. If you've never read Genesis 1 and 2, the, the creation narrative, I urge you to do that. Um, it is... It is very insightful. It is the foundation of the rest of the Bible. And uh, in this specific creation narrative, we find that we were created humans in the image of God. And that's our first point this morning that, that all people are made in the image of God. All people. Not just you, not just me, not just us, all people are made in the image of God. Now you might be thinking, that's great, but what does that mean? To be made in the image of God? Like, what? Well, it means that we're given an imprint of the very nature of God himself. We are not gods, but we're not animals either. See, if we believe we're animals, then, well, you just have to do what you need to do. Nature called you, and so you just follow the craziness. You're an animal. You're just an advanced animal. Or, We are a God, and so I need to do what I want to do. It's all about me anyway. I'm a God. I'm the one who gets to choose what's right, what's just, what's true. So neither of those are true. The Bible says that we're something completely different. We're God's prized creation, given an eternal soul, and designed for an eternity with him. We are made in the image of God. Another way of saying this maybe is that we are a reflection of who God is. We're like looking at a mirror. And Aaron, a few weeks ago, brought a mirror up here. Maybe you remember. And talked about us being the reflection of who God is. That, that when you look at your face in the mirror, you should see that, that I am made in the very image of God. When I meet somebody out in the, The world, when I come in here and see somebody here, I have to remember they are made in the image of God. Um, They're a very reflection of God. Animals are not a reflection of God. Trees are not a reflection of God. Fish, birds, not a reflection of God. People, us, we are made in the image of God. God. All people have dignity, worth, and value because we are made in the image of God and we are a reflection of our creator. Each of us carries that image. Each of us carries a piece, a reflection of who God is. and That's significant because our value doesn't come from a set of skills or from our looks or from a set of standards that the world presses down on us. Our value comes directly from our creator. Because, verse 27, let's look at that again. It says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. You see, not only are all people made in the image of God, but, but all human life is equally sacred. All human life is equally sacred. Now, once again, you might be sitting there thinking, okay, but I know some people, and when I look at their life, there's nothing sacred about it. I know some people, and if you knew what they did, you wouldn't be saying they're a reflection of God. (laughs) You'd be saying they're a reflection of something else. It may be you saying, when I look at myself in the mirror, Brett, I really have trouble seeing any reflection of God or, or seeing that my life is, is somehow sacred. Do you know what I've done? Do you know how I've lived? Do you know who I am? And tragically, the story of human history took a turn. You see, after, almost immediately after God created man in his image and likeness, um, Adam and Eve were met in the garden by Satan. And Satan tempted them, just like he tempts us today. And he told them, you've been lied to. You see, God's holding out on you. God didn't give you a whole life. No, you can have more. In fact, you can be like God. If you just choose to disobey him and do what you want to do, you can be like God. In fact, you can be a God. Probably be better than him. Well, tragically, Adam and Eve, uh, not only were they tempted, but they they chose to sin. And that sin in the garden directly impacted our reflection of God. And this reflection of beauty now looks like this Uh, the, the fractured beauty of God. Now when we look in the mirror, we don't see this perfect reflection of God's nature. Instead, we see broken, imperfect reflections of the character of God. When you and I look at ourselves, we don't see the way, ourselves the way God designed us. He designed us perfect, free of pain, free of suffering, free of sorrow. No, we, we don't see that at all, do we? Instead, we see ourselves in, in broken shame, remorse, regret, and sorrow. Not only does it impact our view of us, but, but when we walk around and we look at other people, we also see this brokenness, don't we? A broken reflection of what God originally intended. And what we read in Genesis 1, 26 and 27 about this amazing reflection and, and pure, perfect wonderfulness, J- chapter 3 of Genesis, it's all shattered. Now, that's not the end of the story. And that is great. Because what happens at the end of Genesis 3, and then for the rest of the story of the Bible, is that God puts a plan in place to restore our broken reflection. And he begins to work to restore us back to the image of God. This whole plan comes into clear focus in John 3, very familiar, verses 16 and 17. Here's, here's what it says It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You see, Not only do humans have intrinsic value because we bear the very image of God, but God proved that value to each of us by sending Jesus. His only son is the one who paid the price to rescue us. I was was thinking about this, and I was thinking about uh, times when I have acted on this. When when have we, I mean, God obviously showed that we have value by sending his son. When have I... Shown that, that people have value more than his, God's other creation. I, so my wife and I, some of our cows escaped a few years ago. And it was not great. It was the middle of the night. It was before I was coming. It was a Saturday night, probably one in the morning. I was going to be preaching in Vestal Campus. It was South Vestal at the time. Um, didn't want to be chasing cows around. There were some on the road. There were some in the neighbor's field. One of our cows ended up heading down Forest Lake Road and made it to the next farm. And we found him the next day with the neighbor's cows. Well, I love cows. Maybe you didn't know that about me. I, I, I really do, and I know that's crazy because it's a love-hate relationship. Um, I mostly hate that I love them. And <laughs> So I, I went down to, to the farmer, and, and these cows were valuable. I mean, they were almost fully grown. This, this cow was probably 1,500 pounds. I, I wanted him back because we were going to sell him. Never once did I think in my head, never once did I go to Nicole, my wife, and say, hey, I've got this idea. Let's trade him for one of our children straight up, like, we can get that cow back. I, I never did that. I never thought that. Some of you know some of my children, and you're like, well, there, there may be that one. Um, you know why I didn't? Because cows don't have souls. Cows don't have eternal value. Cows are not made in the image and likeness of God. Cows are not equally sacred like people? I, I think it's a no-brainer not to do that and yet I look at what God did and God sent Jesus to die for our sins because he believes that our lives are valuable. If you ever have a doubt about your value, you never have to look further than the cross That's where the answer is to what God was thinking about you when he made you and all human life. So because all of us were made in the image of God and all human life is equally sacred, how should that affect us? Like those are two truths that we find in Genesis 1:26 and 27. How How should that impact us? Well, I just want to warn you, it's going to be a little pokey now, okay? I want to talk about five specific implications to this to this these two truths. Five ways that I think our lives and our culture intersect with, with those two truths. That that we are made, all people are made in the image and likeness of God, and all humans, all human life is equally sacred. <clears throat> so we're going to look at, at a verse that, that Paul gave us in Galatians 3:28. And here's what he says: uh, "There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ." I think this verse has incredible implications to our lives. It, not because Paul's saying there's not differences. Paul's saying the opposite, actually. What Paul is saying is, there are differences. Okay, there are differences in people, and that's not bad. but there's only differences in people here on this earth. <clears throat> and what Paul is saying is, in heaven, and through Jesus Christ, we're the same. So I want to take each one of these that, that Paul talks about, and I want to talk about what do these mean, and I, I just want us to think. What Satan does a very good job of is he, he does a very good job of magnifying our differences. Anytime he can find a difference in people groups, in people, he will magnify that difference. He will not magnify the similarities. He will only magnify the differences. <clears throat> so let's see how that plays out. For the first one, And he, he talks about, you know, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. So because all people are made in the image of God and if all human life is equally sacred, then then this should affect our beliefs and actions about race. Now now here's what I know about, about racism, about prejudice. I know that it has happened for all of human history. In fact, in this verse... Paul is acknowledging that Jews and Gentiles are at odds. In fact, if you travel around the world, you'll find that that prejudice is everywhere. If you go to Thailand, you'll realize that that there are Taiwanese who who really are not getting along with the mainlanders. If you go to Japan, you'll realize that that there's Japanese and, and Korean tension. If you go to West Africa, you'll find that The West African English-speaking population is at odds with the West African French-speaking population. This didn't start. Racism didn't start. Prejudice didn't start as a black and white issue. It has been throughout human history that doesn't excuse it. And if we believe that we are all made in the image of God, And if we believe that human life is equally sacred, racism should hurt us. And we, as a church and as a body of Christ and as believers and as individuals, ought to run from it. We should not have a single fiber in our body that would embrace it. At the root of racism, there is an unwillingness to see that value is ascribed by God to all individuals because everyone bears the image of God. Doesn't matter skin color, doesn't matter ethnic background, none of that matters in the kingdom of God because that is not what determines our worth or our value. Our worth and our value is given to us and to all human life because we're bearers of the image of our creator God. Revelation 7 tells us that in heaven, every nation, tribe, and tongue will gather together in praise and worship to our great God. And I think our communities, our churches, our campuses, and our homes ought to be microcosms of that here on earth. It's not only race that I think ought to be impacted in our lives. But, but Galatians 3.20, Paul goes on, and he says, not only neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, social status. <laughs> Isn't it easy to drive past a, a home or drive through a neighborhood that is tired and think, oh, glad it's not me. Feel a little entitled, feel a little puffed up a little bit, like, yeah. We climb into any car and in any environment and we can all feel that at some level. It's human nature. It's it's human nature in us to ascribe value based on social status, but that's not true in the kingdom of God. Because all people are made in the image of God and because All human life is equally sacred. This should affect our beliefs and actions about social status and slavery. Back in 1857, the Dred Scott case was before the Supreme Court. And this case specifically was to determine whether slaves ought to be granted US citizenship. Are slaves citizens or not? And there were two Supreme Court justices who dissented on a 7 2 ruling. And the 7 to 2 ruling said that they were not citizens of the United States. One of the dissenters his name was Justice John McLean. The reason he voted no was Genesis 127. Here's what he said. He said a slave is not mere chattel. He bears the impress of his maker, and he is destined to endless existence. His reason for being against this, for being against slavery, was founded on Genesis 1.27. That that everyone in the world, every human life, is made in the image of God. Several years later, slavery ended because more and more people understood, believed, and applied Genesis one twenty seven. Here's the great tragedy. We have more slaves in our world today than ever in human history. Do you realize that? Tens of millions of people Sex trafficking is one of the largest slave movements in our world today. Uh, it it is a larger it, it's it's a larger movement than uh, than the cocaine market. Over a hundred billion dollars a year industry, sex trafficking, the the porn industry. Runs on sex, sex trafficking. That, that, it's sad because it, it shouldn't work. But, but you know why this happened? It happened because we have forgotten that humans are more than a commodity. All people have dignity, worth, and value. Because we're all made in the image of God. And we are a reflection of our creator. We... God's church, followers of Jesus, ought to be on the forefronts, yelling and screaming and saying, this is not right. This should not be happening. And there are some Christian organizations that are doing a great job of working to free those enslaved in sex trafficking. The, The IJM, the International Justice Mission, Exodus City, and then War, Women at Risk, are three organizations that are working tirelessly to, to chip away at social status and slavery. Genesis 127 ought to impact our response on racism and slavery and social status. There's a third one, um, gender. Gender. So Paul goes on and he says in that verse, you know, Neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Because all people are made in the image of God and because all human life is equally sacred, this should affect our beliefs and actions on gender. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because um, we've hit this topic a little bit the last three weeks, and like I said before, if you haven't heard those sermons, please grab those podcasts uh, either on bridgewater.church backslash sermons or on our, our app, um, because they will deal with, with this one specifically. But I want to remind us that Paul's making it very clear that men and women are equal in how they are made in the image of God. Men are not more godlike than women. Women are not more godlike than men. We are all made created in the image of God, male and female. And and both bear God's image and reflection. This means that we need to treat men and women with dignity and value, not because they earn it, but because God gave it to them. And because we see them a certain way, we see them through Genesis 1, 27. There's a fourth area, and it's not directly found in in, in Galatians in this verse, but I think it is in need of, of stating. And It's this, because all people are made in the image of God and all human life is equally sacred, this should affect our beliefs and actions about euthanasia. Now, euthanasia is is something up and coming. And it has largely been a European phenomenon, but but is now moving to the United States. Um, I have to confess, this has not been on my radar nearly as much as it should be. Um, If you don't believe that it's affecting people, here's a quote from a British journalist, Katie Hopkins. And here's what she said, We just have far too many old people. It's ridiculous to be living in a country where we can put dogs to sleep, but not people. When asked what she would propose we do, she said, easy, euthanasia vans, just like ice cream vans, that would come to your home, they might even play a nice tune. They might have a nice tune they'd play. What? Really, this is not just a European phenomenon. There are ten states in America right now that it, that currently allow us to have someone kill you. You can have someone kill you legally in ten states. These are made laws: medical assistance in dying, euthanasia laws. Euthanasia laws have nudged people beyond the right to die and into the idea that it is their duty to die or even someone else's duty to help them die. As followers of Jesus with a worldview that reflects our Creator, we must stand against this movement. I'm in my 50s, it's getting closer for me. Makes me even more concerned about this movement. We well, you think about that. Have we really come to the place where because we can put our dogs and cats down, we also should be able to put our parents down? Hey, hey, hey. A little too much laughter. <laughs> no, there are times when I... No, no, we shouldn't. We shouldn't because of our belief that we are all made in the image and likeness of our Creator. And it should not matter How old somebody gets. How do we get here? I was thinking about this. I thought, man, how do we get here? That 10 states out of 50 have euthanasia laws that allow you to just put somebody down or have them put themselves down. Uh, Well, we got here because our world does not believe Genesis 127. That all human life has value because we're made in the image of God. We get here by denying that we're created on purpose by our creator and that every life is valuable. We get here by measuring the human value of life based on usefulness, convenience, and my own experience instead of God's word. And as a church, as followers of Jesus, we have to stand against this. All human life is equally sacred, no matter how much of it is left. And I'm not talking about do not resuscitate or or morphine drips or or ending life support. I'm not talking about that at all. I know there are complicated decisions at the end of life, and I realize that. What I'm specifically talking about, though, are these medical assistance for dying. Euthanasia laws. Well, it leads us to our last one. Uh, Because all people are made in the image of God and all human life is equally sacred, this should affect our beliefs and our actions about abortion. Psalm 139, verses 13 to 16, it says For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to being. See, God's word speaks very clearly of our beginning inside of our mother. It's a glorious and wonderful thing. And even before birth, there's a purpose, there's life, there's an image, a reflection, a tiny reflection of God. Our world speaks of babies in a different way. They use terms that kind of shy away from human life and baby trying to dehumanize the unborn child. Our world talks about our responsible action to get rid of babies who might have some differences, defects, or challenges, but God sees this very different. God doesn't ascribe value by usefulness or convenience. God says value is determined by his standards. All babies have dignity, worth, and value. Because they are made in the image of God, their creator. And they're a reflection of Him. <clears throat> I'm not saying this to shame anybody this morning. I, I'm simply sharing what God says. And I know this can be a, a touchy issue. Um, this can be touchy because we've maybe not heard this before. We maybe didn't even realize that God says something in Psalm 139 about the unborn child or maybe the source we heard it from said it differently but god definitely values the unborn baby and <clears throat> some of you have had abortions and or you've pushed your your girlfriend or your wife to get them and i, I want to assure you that there is grace forgiveness and healing for you. John 3, 16 reminds us, and 17, reminds us that God sent his son Jesus to die for all of our brokenness so we could be forgiven and restored. This forgiveness and restoration is not limited to any amount of brokenness. God wants to restore and forgive and he's waiting for us to ask. Life Choices and Care Net, we support those ministries they do a great job of fighting for the unborn child. They offer counseling to those who have gone through this or know someone who's gone through this. And and we need to continue to support them. Those baby bottles out there that we're filling with coins, those are a way that we fund right choices because they're fighting for something I believe we should be fighting for. And our beliefs and our actions ought to be affected in the area of abortions. We stand for life because all life is equally sacred. All people have dignity, worth, and value because we're all made in the image of God and we're a reflection of our creator in race, in social status, in slavery, in gender, euthanasia, abortion, and probably many other areas. There's one that I didn't mention that I think is also true, and that's our enemies. Do you know that your enemies... were created in the image of God? (sighs) They were. And they have dignity, worth, and value. Rick Warren said once, uh, we can never win our enemies for Christ. Only our friends. As I think about how we view those around us, we, we need to view them as reflections of God, even our enemies. So the question I leave with you today is this. Do we value all people like God does? Do you value all people? Does that value run so deep into you that it drives you to action? This week, today, as we walk around, as you see people, as you see your enemies, as you see your people that you don't even get along with, <clears throat> will you view them as God views them? Useful, valuable, worthy, sacred reflections of God. Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you that you gave us uh, Genesis one twenty-seven because... It is, it is an amazing reminder that we are made in the image, in your image, and we're a reflection of you. God, I recognize there's brokenness, and I am so thankful that you gave us John 3.16 also. Thank you for that reminder for me, that even though I am a broken reflection of you now, someday I will be fully restored to an amazing reflection of you, and you've already begun that work in me, and I'm so thankful for that. Father, please help us. Help us to view people the way you view them, even when it's not something we necessarily want to do. Help us do that because we love you, and we realize that that you're the Creator, and you can, and you've given us your Word, and. You've asked us to do that. We love you. Thank you for loving us. Father, if there's people here who, who maybe don't have a relationship with you yet, haven't asked Jesus to be their forgiver and leader, I ask that you would help them see that there is forgiveness and restoration. And I pray that they would make that decision today. In Jesus' name, amen.